Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Mike Kruger to the podcast. Dr. Kruger serves as president and the Samuel C. Patterson Professor of New Testament and Early Christianity at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. In addition to that, he serves part-time as teacher-in-residence at Christ Covenant Church, PCA, and is married to Melissa Kruger, Director of Women's Content at the Gospel Coalition. Dr. Kruger, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Great to be with you. Hey, that bio is a mouthful. It is. Too much, I think. No, no, that shows how active you are and how the Lord is using mm. you. Uh, for our listeners, you're on campus this week delivering the uh, the Sizemore Lectures on Biblical Studies and uh, have been talking about canon and inspiration the last two days, and we've had you kind of running ragged from studio to studio <laughs> to seminar yep. room to PhD student room, and anyway, delighted to be with you in the studio now on Preaching and Preachers. Well, it's been a delightful week. I've had so much fun getting to know your staff and faculty and students. They're a great bunch, and it's been a, a, a beautiful time. So before we get into the meat of the conversation today, which for our listeners will be preaching the book of Romans, uh, I want to talk shop a little bit about, about your personal ministry and also about RTS Charlotte. So let's begin with you personally. Tell us what's new with the Mike Kruger family and uh, the Mike Kruger ministry. Oh, wow. That's very kind. Yeah, so blessed. Uh, Lord's been really good to us. Several changes afoot recently. My wife, Melissa, has been so busy herself. She just picked up the role last year as the director of women's content for the Gospel Coalition, and that's kept her very busy, and they're big 2020 women's conferences coming up this June, and it's so neat to see how the Lord has blessed her ministry. And she's actually got her, I think it's her fifth book coming out this summer. So that's very encouraging. Your family's doing well. My oldest daughter just started college at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is my alma mater and my, my wife's too. So it's fun to send one off uh, to school and we miss her dearly. And we've got two more at home, John, who's 16 and Kate, 13. So God's blessed us. We're in a good spot right now with our family and, and, and ministry. And RTS. Now, many of our listeners may not understand kind of how the network of seminaries and campuses work. So, uh, you're 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 one <laughs> to borrow a phrase, I guess, from the local church world. You're you're one you're one seminary, eight locations. Yeah, we're confusing. Let's just put that on the table. Um, we're, we're hard to figure out as an institution structurally. I was just talking to one of your students just uh, literally five or ten minutes ago, was saying, I don't I don't get how RTS works. How do you guys have eight campuses, and how does that function? Well, sometimes it's hard, but God's blessed us with eight campuses across the country. So the best way to think of it is sort of the the big three, which would be Jackson, Charlotte, and Orlando, all about the same size and fairly um, uh, mature in their age as a campus. Then we have smaller campuses in D.C., Atlanta, New York, Dallas, and Houston. So, yeah, it's tough. You know, we're spread out. Um, the Lord has led us down that path through a variety of providences, and we're just going to trust in his, his hands that there's people in each of those regions that need a seminary, and we're glad to do it. But it is hard. It, it sometimes can be inefficient, and sometimes we feel spread out. But we're we're thankful for the Lord uh, giving us that that opportunity at this point. And elaborate a touch on the Charlotte campus. Yeah, so Charlotte has been uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, for almost twenty eight years now. Um, we have uh, eleven full time residential faculty, and actually, we're getting ready to expand that to twelve full time residential faculty. We have a full slate of degree programs, all our master's degrees, including a, a degree in biblical counseling, as well as our D-men. Um, we have a beautiful 17-acre campus in South Charlotte, and um, just so thankful for the Lord how he's blessed that, that campus. We're now the second largest campus in the RTS system. And when you look at just the MDiv degree, we're the largest campus in the RTS system. So the Lord's been good to us. And so we're, we're thankful. We're optimistic about the way he's growing our, 
our campus. And in fact, just this last fall, we had an enrollment that was at about a decade high. So we're really thrilled by that. And you guys recently transitioned your counseling program? Yeah, that's correct. So we started this program about four years ago. So it's a new program for us. And um, we didn't have a counseling program at all. And we decided to start one uh, due to the the gracious gift of a supporter of the school. And and uh, it's been great. It's been growing steadily, a lot of excitement about it. We're committed to what would be called sort of a biblical counseling model, which is uh, a model. As are, as are we yeah, here. Yeah, exactly, which is a model I know that you share right here at Midwestern. And so so uh, thankful for that that common ground. And uh, the Lord's been good. We've had uh, not only a great influx of counseling students, but our MDiv students have really enjoyed it. And they've been uh, diving into it and taking a lot of counseling classes themselves, recognizing that their ministry is not just public preaching, but also private ministry of the Word. Mm. Now, I and you both have referenced your wife, Melissa, but uh, she has an expansive ministry. And so let me let me tee you up to honor her for a few moments here. <laughs> Absolutely. Love to talk about her. Yeah, she's fantastic. I'll tell you what, I'm, we've been so blessed and encouraged to see how the Lord has blessed uh, her ministry. And I think it was just so unexpected and, and in terms of, you know, you never can foresee what God's going to do. But now she's, like I said, uh, the only only female director at the Gospel Coalition, which is really great. Um, she's running a national ministry there with the conference. She's published now her fifth book and has more on the way um, and travels and speaks around the, the country. In fact, I kind of make fun of myself from time to time that most of the time I get an invitation now, I wonder if they're just secretly wanting Melissa to come with me so they can have her there and, and meet her. And I, I think that's probably not too far from the truth. Well, I told you at dinner uh, how much my wife has enjoyed and appreciated your wife's ministry. And when we were talking some time back about you coming, the first thing she asked was, is, uh, yeah, is his wife coming with this, him? Is, this is where it goes. And uh, I, I said, I don't, I don't think so. And, and uh -huh. she was disappointed. So, yeah. so maybe we can have you guys back as a couple sometime. Yeah. I, I often joke with people. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Am I, am I not enough here? What, what's going on? You know, and I, I had a, I had a, a situation recently where I preached at a conference and I was done with my sermon and some some lady rushes up to me afterward, all eager and excited. And I thought, oh, she must have loved my message. And the first thing she said to me is, is your wife here? So I realized that um, that's going to be the way of the future from now on. We're talking today about preaching the book of Romans. And on my podcast, Preaching and Preachers, we have a few different kind of series that are running series on it. But one of those is preaching different books of the Bible. So it's been fun for me to talk with different scholars who are particularly given to or have an interest in or a background in working with different books of the Bible and, and, and try to, in, in a matter of minutes, kind of condense some main themes that preachers should keep in mind, that Bible teachers should keep in mind as they engage respective books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, in conversation with you yesterday, I asked you, uh, what is your favorite book in the Bible? And you said the book of Romans. I did. I'm so cliche. I get it. Yeah. So, But it is fantastic. I got to say, I've, I've anybody, you know, who, 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 and we all do, loves the gospel, loves the doctrines of grace, loves the theme of justification. It's hard not to love Romans. It's such a classic. And um, I've, I've had the privilege to teach it a number of different times and certainly listen to many other people who've taught it, you, you know, often <laughs> much better than I do. But uh, it's such a, a historic book for the church. And uh, yeah, if I was on a desert island, that's the book I would take. So make the case to those listening why they should prioritize preaching the book of Romans. Yeah, it's it's sort of self-evident, but but I'll I'll try to lay it out there. The Book of Romans, I think, has had a pride of place in our heritage for generations, and I think deservedly so. I mean, some might know famously that it was actually a verse from Romans that led to Augustine's conversion. When he had his finger in the Bible, when he heard the Tolle Lege pick up and read, he opened it to Romans. Um, they may also know that 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 Martin Luther's Sort of awakening was due to his reconfiguration of understanding Romans 117, which is arguably the theme verse for the whole 
the whole book, which is The Righteous Shall Live by Faith. Um, and so it's had a great heritage for, for good reason, because this book, maybe, maybe more than any other, sort of systematically, carefully, and, and intentionally lays out the, the heartbeat of the gospel message in a way that no other book does. Now, we're not saying the gospel message isn't in other books, because it is, but usually they're, they're set up differently. So for example, in Galatians, Paul repeats a, lot, a number of the same themes, but Galatians is so much more polemical. He's responding to a church that's gone off the rails and been affected by the Judaizers. And so it has a different feel, whereas Romans is not that way. Romans doesn't have this sort of, I'm writing to a church in trouble here. So it's, it's more of a positive laying out of the core truths. So in broad contours, give us the basic kind of, kind of topography of the book of Romans. Yeah. So the way I break it down is not that surprising. It's similar to what most people have done, although I have a few little tweaks on it. But um, the way I break it down is the introduction is really uh, chapter 1, 1 through 17. There Paul lays out the euangelion, the gospel, which was promised beforehand. Um, and then he lays out the sort of essence of it, which is that we have a, 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 a righteousness that comes from God by faith. And so this is his theme. And then, secondly, he moves into proving that theme. And how do we know that righteousness from God comes by faith and not by our own good works? Well, because we're all sinners. And that starts in 118 to the end of, really the end of chapter 5, where he lays out this idea that we're all fallen, broken, incapable of, of uh, uh, keeping the law perfectly, and therefore we need a justification by someone who's done it for us. And so in, in basically 118 to the end of 5, he lays out the, the fact that we're all sinful and that there's a justification now apart from the law that's been revealed by which we can be saved, and that's sort of the, the glorious good news. And then in, uh, this is the way I break it down at least, in 6 through 11, I, I refer to that section as Paul answering objections. So every conceivable objection you could bring to this idea of salvation by faith alone, he, he tackles. Stuff like, well, if we're saved by faith alone, do I have to obey the law? Can I just do whatever I want? And Paul says, no, 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 that's not how it works. You know, if if I'm saved by faith alone, what do I do when I still struggle with sin? Well, in Romans 7, he's like, well, no, we all struggle with sin, even as saved people, and we we, we thank Christ that he still redeems us. And then uh, eternal security in chapter 8. And then, of course, famously, 9 through 11, what about Israel? And how do we handle that? And what implications does that, does that have for the way God elects? And so those are all the, the hot topic questions. And then the last part, 12 through the end, is, is practical applications, where Paul says, okay, if this is the foundation for what we believe, that's going to affect the way you live, and here's some practical outworkings of that. So for those listening who may be contemplating preaching the book of Romans, and hearing this conversation, uh, it, sounds, it sounds doable. Uh, they're, they're motivated to preach or teach through it. Uh, as they would encounter the book, what should they be on the lookout for that, that might be angular passages or, or, or perhaps difficult spots, trouble spots that they need to make sure they're they're really keen to the text and, and, and going mm-hmm, to carve mm-hmm. out plenty of sermon prep time that week. Yeah. So the way I tell my students is it's the odd chapters in Romans that have the most critical uh, stuff in it, so to speak. Now, that's not to diminish the even chapters, but you got to make sure you get the odd chapters mm-hmm. right. So chapter one is going to deal both with the theme, righteousness from God. And by the way, as a side note, modern translations have now changed that back to righteousness of God. Uh, but historically, at least in the uh, 84 NIV, it was always took the genitive there as righteousness from God, which is the heartbeat, of course, our belief that God imparts a righteous status to us by faith. Um, chapter 3, of course, particularly in 20 and 21, is where Paul lays out his doctrine of justification really for the first time fully. Got to get that down. If you're a preacher, you got to really understand what Paul means when, he, when God can be both just while justifying which is a very interesting way of putting it, um, that, that, that at the same time, God can declare us righteous, even though we're sinners, and still not be unjust in doing so. That's a key thing. Chapter 5 is the pairing between 
uh, Adam and, 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 and Jesus, him as the, as the representative in the New Covenant and Adam as the, as the representative in the Old Covenant. And then, of course, famously chapter 7 and 9, 7 being, well, if I keep sinning in some way and struggle, can I be saved? Uh, Paul deals with that. And then 9, of course, is the fun, fun, fun passage of election. So you're moving through different topics that I want to uh, kind of press you on. Let me sure. work backwards. Romans 7, is Paul saved or lost in that passage? Yeah, that's the standard disputed passage. Oh, boy, that's a lot of ink has been spilled on that. Yeah, I, I keep looking at that again and again tightly, and I'm familiar with both the two major views and plus some newer views that have been floated around out there. And I, I still fall back to the what I regard at least as the classic uh, reform position, which is that Paul is a, is a believer there. Um, and I think there's great hope in that, that even as believers, sometimes we just don't always do what we know we should do and want to do. And um, and the fact that you're in the fight at all and feel it shows, I think, that Paul's a believer there. I think that the, the non-Christian wouldn't respond that way if um, if they were in sin. They wouldn't be in the fight at all. Yeah, they would be enjoying the sin, yeah, exactly. not fighting against mm-hmm. it. Romans 5, you mentioned Adam. Yes. Now, I believe in, and and I know do you, you do as well, an historical Adam. Absolutely. And Paul believes in mm-hmm. a historical Adam. How central is the belief in a historical Adam to the broader logic of the gospel story in the book of Romans? Oh, wow. So tremendous. Um, in fact, it, whenever someone defends the historicity of Adam as a theological uh, foundation for our theology, the number one spot you go is Romans 5. Uh, you know, just as in the first Adam, all of sin, so in the second Adam, all are uh, made alive and justified. And so there's a clear pairing there. If if the first Adam didn't exist, then we wouldn't have a reason for the second Adam to exist. If there wasn't a first Adam that really represented us um, and that acted for us in the fall, then then th- th- there's no logical follow why there's a second Adam that now is going to act for us in the logic of salvation. And so, yeah, the two are tightly linked. No doubt Paul saw Adam as historical. And I think if you take away historical Adam, you you are pulling at the foundations of the gospel there in a really scary way. Mm, well said. Very well said. You know, again, to those listening to this podcast, there might be some who are thinking, like, okay, I want to preach through it. I, I think I can preach through it, but but my goodness, I have, have 16 chapters. Uh, this is theologically so hefty. Like, is my church ready for this? Mm. Am I ready for this? Yeah. When does a preacher know if he's if he's ready to tackle the book of Romans? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I want to acknowledge, first of all, that I think those that, that hesitation is understandable. I get it. You know, it's such a, a lofty book with such a rich heritage. You think who's up to it? Um, but but I would just remind the, the, the preacher out there that you could say that about so many books, right? Um, when, when are you ever really ready to preach any of them? And, and what's great about the, the book of Romans is it's lofty, but it's also basic. It's, 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 it's wonderful, deep truths, but it's also shallow enough that everyone can understand them. It's just the basic idea that we're not saved by our own merits, but Christ. Uh, through faith. That's the essence of it. And if you think about it that way, everybody needs that, even the most basic Christian. Um, you know, and, you, and, and the other thing I would say to preachers is you don't have to be the next Martin Lloyd-Jones um, and preach 347 sermons in Romans or whatever it was over, over 13 11 years. Yeah. yeah, over a crazy number of years and think that if you don't outdo them, you haven't really lived up to your uh, calling as a pastor. No, no, not everybody has to try to replicate that. Not everybody has to try to make it um, some some super series. Uh, but I, I do think eventually your church is going to need it. And I think that's the better way to look at it. It's not so much what I can do, but what does my church need? When you think about preaching the book of Romans, and one of the concerns I hear preachers mention occasionally is the, the thematic similarity, let's say, of chapters two through five. Yeah. They're concerned about sounding repetitive, especially yeah. if they preach this in, in bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. What counsel do you have? 
that's hard um, because that's a slog through those chapters. Um, the good news is it's it's it, it ends quicker than most people think. I mean, you're really talking one eighteen to three nineteen is really kind of the if I'm remembering it correctly, kind of the the real heavy everyone's a sinner part, right? And I grant you, you're going to take weeks through there, and after a while, you're like, how many t- different ways can I say this? Okay, you're <laughs> you can't do it. You're 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 falling. You're broken, and, and I get that. But you know, Paul does nuance it out. I mean. You've got natural revelation as a theme in chapter one, which which gives men no excuse. Then in chapter two, he transitions more to issues of conscience in the heart and also the, the sinfulness of the Jews and how they're under it too. And then in chapter three, he at least has some proof texts from um, different Old Testament passages you can work through. So yeah, it, it does seem repetitive, but but here's the reality, and I would encourage the preachers with this. you you got to lay that foundation. Paul lays that foundation extensively for a reason, which is until you get the fact that you can't do it on your own and that you're uh, deeply sinful, the gospel is never going to be the good news it needs to be. And so it may feel repetitive, but our, I think our people need to hear it. So you've said one should not feel obligated to try to replicate Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yeah. Um, thank you for that reprieval. <laughs> do you have a recommended pace for preachers? Well, you know, that's a hard question. I think it, it depends on so many things. It's going to depend on your, your people. Uh, it's going to depend on um, your service. Um, it's going to depend on your cultural context. I mean, in some places you can get away with longer sermons than others. So I think there's a sense in which there's not a one size fits all. And, I'm, and maybe that's the very thing that would be encouraging to your listeners is that I don't think there's a, there's a one size fits all for the, for the sermon series. I will say though, that there's no such thing as a short series through Romans. Let's just put that out there. It doesn't have to be 300 and some like Lloyd Jones, but you're not getting this thing done in 16 weeks. Um, and so I, when I did my study through it, I felt like I went lightning fast and I think I had 44 or 46 installments to get through Romans. Um, so not Lloyd-Jones, but not not super fast either. What, one, one, one thought for people is that you don't have to do the whole book at once. I, I think there's something to be said for starting a series, taking breaks, and doing some thematic series, and coming back to a main series. I think that's healthy and gives a rhythm for a congregation. So if they're worried about how long to take it in, I think you can. You, you don't have to do it you know, all in a row. And I think sometimes we put artificial constraints on ourselves that aren't necessary. As you hear preachers and teachers and read commentators on the book of Romans, what are common errors you hear that you would encourage us to avoid? Mm, that's an interesting question. There's certainly a number of, of approaches to Romans that I think are mistaken. Um, I don't know how much I would say them as, as, as common errors. Um, certainly, in, in the modern day now, I think anybody teaching through Romans is going to have to deal with the controversial discussions over justification. Um, and so whatever commentary your preachers lean on, they're going to have to be aware of that background conversation. You by mean the, new perspective? Exactly. And by that, I mean the, the, the conversations about the new perspective on Paul. And for the listeners who don't know that, that conversation, the, the, the nutshell version of it is, is that there's a new, new movement afoot, which, of course, isn't really new um, at all, which suggests that when Paul's talking about uh, the good works that we're depending on, he's not actually talking about uh, you know, an attempt to be a works-righteous individual. But rather, he's just talking about the fact that you don't have to adopt Jewish boundary markers to be part of God's people. And that may sound like a like an in-house discussion, but it has a big, big weight to it. And um, I think very important that pastors make sure they get commentaries that deal with that. Well said. So speaking of commentaries, give us some good resources for preaching the book of Romans. Yeah. So th- there's so many great ones out there. I mean, you know, every time someone writes a commentary on Romans, I'm thinking to myself, how how is it that you could possibly have the guts to do this. I never could because I feel like there's so many good ones out there, but there's a lot of good new ones too. 
Um, and I, I got to say, I love them. Um, but, you know, historically, um, two of the classics in, in sort of reform traditions are going to be Charles Hodge, certainly on Romans, and John Murray on Romans. John Murray's was the NICNT series famously for many years. It is exceptionally yeah, well done. Yeah, it is. And, you, you know, the great thing about Murray's is it's actually pretty brief. I mean, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a miracle to have a commentary on a book like Romans and inhabit. Now, of course, I'm saying relatively brief here, but compared to new ones, and it's it's really great. What's curious about those two commentaries is they're actually both by theologians, not by biblical scholars, which is a, a fascinating thing to observe just in terms of uh, of that. In terms of other kinds of commentaries on Romans, I mean, I've got to say you you can't go without Lloyd Jones on this. In his 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 extensive commentary series is really just the transcriptions of his sermons, so it's not really a commentary per se, but they are fantastic. So good, in fact, I I just read them like a book. I didn't even read them like a commentary. I just read them like a book, and it's really good. You can't hardly get through it without that. In the modern day, I really like Doug Moose, um, which is the new replacement for Murray and the NICNT. And I think Tom Schreiner just came out with one um, that I've, I've looked at and I think is, is really good. And so you've got a lot of good options out there. Thank the Lord for great resources in the English-speaking world. And for pastors, uh, the James Montgomery Boyce four oh, volume. Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, how, how would you leave out Boyce? Um, and yeah, not only the commentary, but the sermons too. I mean, he's He's a he's a, a standard work there, and and you're gonna what what you're gonna find is once you start reading these, you're gonna realize oh, they're all reading the same stuff. So you That's know, right. Boyce is gonna be reading Murray and Hodge, and probably listening to Lloyd Jones too. <laughs> so they're all linked together before it's all over. Romans is your favorite book in the Bible. I'm curious, do you have a, a favorite passage within Romans? Yes, um, it's gonna be uh, it's three twenty. I don't have it right in front of me here, but it's. Um, it's towards the end of, of Romans 3, where, where Paul basically says, I think it's 27 or 28, or maybe it's 24. Forgive me for um, not having it off the top of my head. But the essence of it is that, 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 that Paul declares that in justification, God is both just, and most English translations say just and justifier. Um, but, but actually in the Greek there, I've argued that it's best rendered that, so that God is both just while justifying. Um, and I think that's the heartbeat of the whole book. In fact, Luther called that verse the center of the whole Bible. That was Luther's sense that the whole Bible was centered um, effectively on that one verse. And that, and why I think that's so wonderful is because it says that God can justify sinners and not lose his own righteousness by doing it. And the only way that can happen is by the sacrifice of Christ. Dr. Kruger, we'll leave it at that. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Great to be with you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.